I'm joined by Mark Green, who's the former U.S. ambassador to Tanzania and now president of the Woodrow Wilson International Center. Good morning to you, Mark. Good morning. Good to be with you. Uh, you and the team uh, there will be uh, analyzing and have analyzed uh, what the impact of this war might be globally. Um, give us some of your thoughts. Well, first of all, I think it's important to understand the downstream impacts here. So you mentioned a little bit about food shortages. So that's the immediate consequence. And I think we all recognize that there are urgent needs, emergency food, emergency medicine, emergency shelter. But we need to think about the downstream impacts. So, for example, right now in many parts of Africa, farmers are going into their fields and planting. It's planting season but they're doing so without fertilizer because so much of the fertilizer comes from Ukraine and that part of the world. And so what we're really looking at some months from now, uh, we'll see yields will be down, prices will be up, shortages will be up. So the real impacts of this are not just the current tragedies that we see each and every day, but the downstream impacts that I think are going to be enormous. Yeah, some African nations are heavily reliant on the import of grain um, from, uh, well, Russia, but also from Ukraine as well. Um, and it could lead, it's estimated by the G7, to millions of people starving to death. Um, you, you talk about fertilizer, which is another impact sort of further down the line. But what analysis has the Wilson Center done on the immediate impact globally of grain supply issues? Well, it's enormous, right? Uh, I mean, I think everyone recognizes that. Again, you, you've got the obvious and the immediate, but think about the impacts of having nearly 100 million people displaced in the world, which are the current numbers coming out of the UN High Commissioner for Refugees and, and the Ukrainian displaced being only the latest tranche of that. When you start putting together 100 million people displaced, that obviously puts tremendous strain on food resources at the best of times, but when you put on top of that uh, a lack of farmers in the fields, uh, the supply chain issues and the port issues, and again, the, the strains on getting fertilizer out to farmers, it really is a perfect storm of uh, tragedy. So this is something that we're going to need to concern ourselves with for quite some time. The immediate, the downstream impacts, and then what we do in the future to rebuild an agribusiness economy that is less vulnerable to these kinds of interruptions. How can we mitigate then uh, for this um, shortened food supply? Um, have there been uh, proposals put forward as the planning's revealed and as the forecasting's revealed just what issues we might have uh, coming into the year and next year? How can we mitigate for that? Well, first off, what we can do is do a better job of securing port access and making sure that farmers in Ukraine are able to get their crops out because the revenues that they receive are a key part of keeping that economy afloat. The numbers that we've seen most recently in the U.S., President Biden requested $33 billion in assistance to Ukraine. That's been up to about $40 billion in the U.S. Congress, much of that being military assistance, some of that being economic assistance. But we have to recognize those are basically one-year numbers. These are not five-year numbers. They're one-year numbers. And so I think it really is the G7 getting together and allocating the kinds of resources that will be needed to help rebuild the economy, help get food to where it's needed, and, again, to start thinking about what it is that we do to, to, to rebuild and, and build better, if you will, uh, the economy of this region. 
The G7 has warned uh, that uh, Vladimir Putin's pushing 43 million people towards famine by refusing to allow cereals to leave Ukraine via Black Sea ports. Are you suggesting then uh, that while President Biden's um, asking for huge amounts of money to help Ukraine, that there should be money allocated um, perhaps on a military level to try and ease the process of grain leaving Ukraine via those Black Sea ports, that, that there might need to be some sort of, um, I don't know whether it's military intervention or some sort of measure um, to allow the free flow of grain? Something must be done, and I would say this needs to really be on an alliance basis. This is a perfect role for the UN, securing humanitarian corridors, and, and getting food out is certainly part of that humanitarian need. So I think it has to be a very high priority. Do you think the UN's taking that seriously enough? Uh, I, I worry. Um, a lot of time has passed. We're approaching three months in, and, and we haven't seen enough action being taken to secure these routes. And again, we're, we're heading into a time of year in which there's a potential to, lit, to miss growing seasons. And with the level of displacement that we're seeing and the vulnerability that's there, this is, this is the moment to act right now. What other warnings can you heed, uh, Mark? What haven't we planned for? Is it perhaps how the effect of migration might uh, affect us on a global level, struggles with natural, other natural uh, areas of um, resource? Um, we've talked about food, talked about energy right. as well. Uh, what else perhaps aren't we, aren't we talking about enough? Well, and you've actually touched upon it. My great concern has been my great concern for the last couple of years is the level of human displacement, unprecedented. So before the Ukraine crisis, we were at 85 million people displaced across the globe. Now we're up to approximately 100 million people. So you've got, again, the immediate need, I think, that we all see. I'm also concerned about the number of children being born displaced, growing up displaced. So we're not getting adequate services to them, education to them, and the kinds of resources that they need, the, the health resources. And as time goes on, and we know that the average person is displaced across the world for more than 15 years, I, I worry that we have a generation of young people growing up disconnected from the world around them. And then someday when they're adults, uh, you know, they're going to be vulnerable to the worst kinds of exploitative uh, forces that you can imagine. So we have the obvious humanitarian needs, but we need to make sure that we're also thinking about the future and how we build the connectivity so that these poor people, displaced through no fault of their own, that they are prepared uh, to build their own future, to pursue their own future, to have the skills that they need to pursue uh, job opportunities, Many of them have phenomenal work ethic and values, but we really have to help them with the tools and the opportunities that they need. Otherwise, we're going to find ourselves 10 years from now, 20 years from now, wondering why it is that we have a whole new generation of people who are vulnerable and susceptible to the worst kinds of forces we can think of. I know you're in the UK to discuss the US perspective on Russia's war in Ukraine. Um, how's the war changed President Biden and President Putin's relationship? Oh, I, you know, fundamentally. So I, I think that President Biden went into this under no illusions about Vladimir Putin, but yet hoping that they could work together to take on some challenges that both both of them see. And, um, you know, that obviously has severed a great deal. And so, you know, we're in a phase in this war right now. 
I've heard uh, people like Bill Byrne, the CIA director, talking about moving into a war of attrition, a longer-term conflict. That in and of itself has profound uh, challenges. You know, every president of the U.S. and probably every prime minister goes into office quite certain of what they're going to work on. Joe Biden famously wanted to pivot a little bit more towards China. He saw China and sees China as the great competitor and looking for ways to to strategize and, and to mobilize ourselves in that direction. Of course, you, Ukraine and Russia has become a, a distraction. Uh, it is, uh, I think, forced us all to take seriously uh, some of these conflicts. On the very positive side, I, I think the NATO alliance, the transatlantic alliance, is as strong as it has been in many decades. That's the good news. So hopefully we can put this to bear to to meet the immediate challenges and the longer-term challenges of rising authoritarianism, but then also work together to take on profound challenges like the fallout from climate extremes and those challenges, which haven't gone away. They're simply off the front pages. Thanks for speaking to us, Mark Green, former U.S. ambassador to Tanzania and now president of the Woodrow Wilson International Center. Thank you.